0: Hello there, and welcome to the comic book Tesseract, the only comics cast that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I'm Jason Poliath. Join us as we review and preview the world of comics, along with other facets of geek sheet culture. Justin is dealing with, uh, his little one getting over being sick, so, uh, that sick fuck is not joining us tonight. I'm gonna go ahead and do a solo show, that means we get to review some comics we don't normally get to touch on, and, uh, see some interesting other things, uh. Would have liked to have him here with a her couple of video game stories. Would have liked to have talked to him about, but we'll go ahead and discuss, go on and discuss, uh, straight into the comic books. So I'm going to start off with the Incredible Hulk with, uh, Jason Aaron and, uh, Paleo on art. Uh, this is wrapping up the Incredible Hulk's run. Uh, this is issue 15. I believe there's one more issue before the Marvel Now reboot of the Hulk. I have not particularly liked this run and I'm not quite sure why I stayed with it. I will say, though, this wrap-up of the story arc, which this was a wrap-up issue of the arc, uh, definitely was done much better and paid off a lot better than I've been enjoying the rest of this arc. Um, so if, if you're a fan of the Hulk and you've been interested in getting it, wait for the relaunch. Mark Wade's coming on as the writer. Um, you've got probably one more month before that comes out. Um because it doesn't make sense to pick up the last issue of The Hulk, which will come out. Uh, Go ahead and pick up the uh, next iteration of Hulk at issue number one and try that. Uh, Should be really good with Mark Wade writing it. The Hulk, the problem with this story is Jason Aaron has a tendency to just throw in some wackiness. And he he goes for a comic book effect, and it, it always strikes me as wrong and over the top It What I realized with this issue is it doesn't fit into the reality of the world that's been created around it. Now, the unfortunate part is, to some extent, particularly for my taste of comics, we prefer more grounded, more logical, founded in the actual reality that we live in type of a comic book. And we allow for these strange things to go on. This is taking it to a much more of a comical place which Jason Aaron purposely does to try and produce comedy. It's not a comedy that I truly enjoy, which has been part of my problem in struggling with enjoying the Hulk series. So uh, if if you do prefer a bit more of a wackiness, then this may have been for you. And you may want to go back and pick it up in trades. Um, it's, it's 15 issues, which will mean somewhere around three trades for the whole run of this Incredible Hulk iteration. Yeah, going to go ahead and move on to The Amazing Spider-Man, another comic book I don't talk about a whole lot on the show, um, other than to mention when new arcs are beginning. Uh, this is part two of an arc, so it's not much to talk about. They've done some really cool stuff. I love what Dan Slott's been doing with Spider-Man. You do get that smart-ass, wise acre of a character. Uh, they've really developed him into some interesting and neat things with having him work at horizon labs, instead of just being a photographer, they've actually taken that brain that they gave him when they first created him and that he was interested in science, which is why he was so excited to go to the lab that day when he got bit, why he was able to build his own web web shooters. So uh, they've, they've kind of rekindled that brain aspect of Peter Parker and having him work at a lab and create cool scientific gadgets. So there's also an element of, you know, not quite Inspector Gadget, but yeah, you know, maybe cue from James Bond of what cool gadget does Spider Man have now to help him fight the villains. And that that's one of the fun aspects, you know, and it certainly doesn't have that slapsticky absurdness that you get with the Incredible Hulk, which is one of the reasons why I'm really enjoying it. the the, the fun of it comes from the smart aleck responses and the fun situations that Peter gets put in where he, he does make the smart ass responses. So, thoroughly enjoying Amazing Spider-Man. I think they've got one more issue in this arc, and then they'll be moving on to another arc, so worth picking up. Uh, Another Marvel comic I'm going to discuss now is the final issue of Captain America. This is the end of Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America. This is just a nice little bow tie for his run. He's been on it almost eight years, the eight-year mark, somewhere in there. So, you know, we've had a lot of Cap stories. You started off with the Cap title that eventually became Captain America and Special Guest Star. Uh And when he transitioned to that book, he transitioned off of writing that book into writing this Captain America series, which, you know, this is issue 19. It's the final issue. Um It's a nice remembrance and a swan song. There will be a new Cap series starting up with Marvel now. So, if you've been interested in getting into Captain America... And have been daunted by, you know, Brubaker having such a long and continuous run on the series. Don't worry about it. You've got a brand new Captain America coming up from Marvel now. Starts off with a new arc, new direction, new writers. So you're going to enjoy it. If you've enjoyed Brubaker's run, this issue is probably a must-get to kind of tie up. And it's a fond farewell for what he says. uh, And the story is kind of an analog to him. Yeah, it's Cap talking to another incarnation of Captain America, one of the men that filled the role while Cap was frozen in the ice and talking about how they're different men. And it kind of is analogous to a different writer taking over the stories of Cap. You know, it's going to be different. It's going to, but they're going to try and hold up and live up to the ideals of Captain America. Yeah. Might as well stay on the Marvel kick right now and go over to Captain Marvel. This is the Carol Danvers incarnation of the Captain Marvel character. And I know Justin kind of dropped off of this book. He felt it was a bit too feminist power with her meeting up with the whole group of World War II women soldiers. I didn't quite get that vibe. And, you know, it's kind of disingenuous, I think, to look at it solely as, you know, an all-female group is, you know, Trying to push that sexist angle. It's something that you don't normally see. So it's kind of fun from that angle for me. But there's lots of groups out there. Where they're at least male dominated. If not entirely made up of men. So to have a a female group show up. Isn't entirely unwarranted. Um, And they've actually gone past that. This story is dealing with time travel. And her dealing with the heroes in her life. Yeah, you know, the people that she idolized and looked up to and why they became her idols, yeah, for flying, for breaking the, those barriers, uh, which is, does kind of lend to that thing that Justin had, what he was upset about. But it also deals with women and the, you know, the racial barriers of becoming pilots and trying to, you know, fly jets and, you know, enter this women that wanted to enter the space program but couldn't because of government bureaucracy. So lots of you know interesting subtext to the story, uh, particularly you know for, for somebody that wants to read kind of a feminist power empowerment story, but I don't think that's the whole story of it. Um, a, a lot of it, I think, is trying to establish who this Carol Danvers character is, you know, in the new Marvel universe. So she's been beaten up throughout her history with Marvel, so I think they're just trying to give her a new clean slate, establish what type of Person She is to push her forward in her own book and I've I've been enjoying that and that development of who she is who her heroes are and and how she's protective of them at this point I might as well uh, jump off and hit a couple of uh, non big two books uh, first one I'm going to do is uh, out of image with which is the activity by Nathan Edmondson uh, this is a book that is thoroughly grounded in in the reality in which we live. Uh, I spoke with Nathan at Megacon in Orlando back in February, and he was talking about how they went to actual military bases, talked with the actual operators, so they can get an idea of what these people go through, what it's like working on these missions. And this book is slowly developing something other than just one-off stories. Most of these are single-issue, here's what's going on but there's stuff developing in the background when they before they leave or when they get back to their base of a larger conspiracy going on and that may lead into realms that are a bit further from the actual reality but the, in that same way that you know Sherlock Holmes is not quite based in this reality there there's an element a little bit bigger of you know in this case it's actually the secret government Organization type of a thing, you know who's pulling the strings behind the scenes, as opposed to you know Sherlock Holmes, which is somebody with a remarkable brain. Um, So the but the activity, if you want something that is a military shooter, if you want something you know strongly based in reality, this is definitely the book to get. It's been great. You know, I was kind of worried with it that it wasn't developing a longer overarching plot, but I think as with many uh, procedural shows. What you see here is they give you the episode. You know, with the procedural show, it's usually a single hour long episode is one case. In this case, the activity it's one mission op. But during that, they have breakouts where you start to see some, uh, some of the effect on the personal lives of these characters. And it may just be a moment in the middle of, of the event. It may be something at the beginning or the end. They, they give you that during the procedural. In this, it's actually, there's not so much about the personalized, but about that mysterious thing going on in the background. And yeah, I think as this goes on, it's going to dig those hooks deeper and deeper. It's a slow burn. Uh, you know, so if you, if you just want a bunch of one shots, you can pick up any issue of activity and get a a one shot and not really miss much of that backstory, but because that backstory is a slow burn. Um, so you don't have to pick it up and read it all the way through. Another one, not from the big two, is The Cape 1969. This is the last issue of this miniseries, which brings it directly to tie into the Cape original one-shot and then follow-up miniseries. Uh, beautifully crafted together. You don't need to read this to understand what happened in the original mini. The, I, or the, the original one-shot was a great book, and to some extent I almost wish I hadn't followed up and had just read that single one shot, but if you read it and you like it, and it is a psychological horror of a story with the, with that issue, um, it 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 is fun to go in and visit this world. It's a, it's another of wh- where does this world lead to, or how did we get there? The, this the, the Cape nineteen sixty nine is the prequel to it. It's a four issue mini. I know our shop has bundles of all four issues, so your your shop may still have all four lying around, so you can pick them up get the whole group together and there'll probably be a trade paperback out if it does interest you. Um, this book is another one that will feed your need if you're more of a military, particularly if you're like that Vietnam era of the, a soldier yeah, in a POW camp in Vietnam. But this does add an element of supernatural to that story. Um, normally I don't like my Supernatural mixed in with my military stuff, but because this was a lead into the Cape, I already knew that Supernatural was going to be there. And it was actually much more of a military and a POW book than I expected, um, which which was actually kind of a nice flavor. It was, you know, biting into, you know, a spoonful of peanut butter, finding a little bit of chocolate in there, as opposed to, you know, buying a Reese's peanut butter cup and expecting both. So, uh, going to go ahead and... Jump over to yet another independent. This is Topcat, which is an image imprint. Uh, Cyber Force number one. If your shop has this, there is no excuse for not picking it up. And the reason for that is it's free. Yeah, the first five issues of Cyber Force are free. So you have no reason not to pick up this new run. This is a continuation of the original Cyber Force uh, Created by Mark Silvestri. Um, he does have his hand in writing this story uh, with Matt Hawkins. And what they did is they ran a Kickstarter campaign and raised the funds to actually do five issues of Cyberforce. So you can go to your comic shop and get five is- the first five issues as they come out. The first one's out now. Uh, next one will be out next month. They're free. So if your shop has it, go ahead and get it. You- you're not losing anything except for the little bit of time it's going to take you to read it. So if you really enjoy it, you know, support the creators and you'll be able to, you know, continue, they'll be able to continue the series going further than just those five issues. Uh, if you've read Cyberforce before, this, uh, from what I can tell based on my knowledge of their past history, actually picks up after both of the two previous runs and actually works as a catalyst to start to create and set up the new world that they want Cyberforce working and activating in. So, if you've been familiar with Cyberforce, you've been a fan of the previous incarnations of it, you should be able to be brought right in to this. If you haven't read it, this actually does a real good job of introducing you to the characters, of setting up this new world that they want them living and interacting in. And while they haven't introduced all the players, it's it's only a single issue so far, and they've done a good job of introducing you to your to your new protagonist and the couple of key players of the cyber force that are going to be moving forward with this. And, and they start to set up to introduce you to other players in this. Uh, Of course, Sylvester does a couple of the covers. Um, There's actually a special Kickstarter cover that you only got if you joined the campaign. So it's worth absolutely everything to check this one out. You know, because if you don't like it, you haven't lost anything except for the time it took you to read it. Which is a hell of a lot better than a lot of books out there. Alright. Next book I will go ahead and reach is another smaller publisher. It's actually the relaunch of Valiant with Harbinger number five. And this book keeps getting better. This is the strongest of the Valiant books as far as I'm concerned right now. And yeah, you know, the the character, what they're put what they're putting the character through, how they're developing. There is no good or bad in this book so far. You've you been given a protagonist, but you're, you don't know if what others want for this character is necessarily bad. It's like seeing a parent punish their child. Yeah, you don't want to see a kid get punished, but you understand that in the long run, it's better for that child. Yeah. And that's what's going on in this book, is that you've got the teachers and heart and the harbinger who's a student and what are they doing? Where are they crossing the road from being a good parent who's punishing their child to being a parent that has stepped over the line and is actually doing something harmful for the child. So you've got that dynamic opened up. Um, actually, this episode actually has a call back to an earlier issue. where you get to see the reaction of, uh, one of the characters, how he reacted to something that, that he was act, asked to do, come back and pay dividends in this issue. So Harbinger, highly, highly recommend It's issue five. And if you did miss them, check, you know, check your shop. Maybe they can order you some extra copies. They might be tough to find and you might need to wait for the trade to come out, but go ahead and start picking it up. Um, cause it really is one of the best of the relaunch and Valiant has had a solid relaunch. All the titles that have come out have been good, which brings me to Exo Manowar, which is the other book that's come out in the past couple of weeks from Valiant. Exo is really good. It's, it's introduced Ninjack into it with the previous issue, and it's building up for something that apparently is much larger than just the title. I was wondering where it was going to go. It's had some bumps in the road recently. A lot of those, I think, were more of we just need to hit some basic points and go, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, so that we can get you to the next stage in the story. Kind of like in, I think they were a little bit sloppily poorly done, but very much like the map sequence in a movie where you say the where the hero goes, we need to go. And you see them jump in a plane and then a model of a plane or a red line flies from one point on the map to the next, to another, to another. And you, you kind of see those each individual points that they hit. And then it brings you back into where you need to be in that story. And yeah, I always get that scene from the map from Indiana Jones is the one that I always picture. Yeah. You know, when, when I picture that map question, and I think that's where this book has hits a couple of speed bumps. But they've they've done some interesting things. They they have a hard line to fetch when you're dealing with characters like Ninjak and Exo Man of War with the so advanced armor that Exo has versus Ninjak, who you, is the type of character that shouldn't ever be defeated in comics. So they they walk a real fine line of not pulling off a professional wrestler run in interference to keep one from defeating the other. Uh, but they've done they've been successful so far. And, uh, with issue six, I'm really looking forward. Uh, That's this arc. I believe five might be where you want to call the beginning of this arc. Um, so I don't know if Valiant is doing trades. Um, so I don't know if you'll be able to get Harbinger or XO as trades. They probably will. All of the major publishers seem to be doing that because they can make money off of that because you hear about it on shows like this and you need to go back and get them. Um, XO Manowar, you know, Valiant has had a strong relaunch, really worth it. Alright, that leaves uh, one Vertigo and a couple of DC left, so I'll go ahead and hit the Vertigo, and then we'll play around in the DC New 52 universe. Yeah, Unwritten. This book is still phenomenal. I'm, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. We've talked about it before, and Justin and I both love it. They did a nice uh, story point reveal of something you expected to be to happen, and they're showing you just exactly how that is happening. You know, it's not so much a surprise of, oh, guess who's here? But a matter of, here's what's actually happening. And so they're doing a wonderful job with that. It is kind of mid-arc, but it's thoroughly worth it. If you haven't checked out Unwritten, you really need to. Uh, Mike Carey, Peter Gross have done an amazing job with this book. All right, I'm going to step into uh, DC Universe. And I'm going to start off with the highlight of the DC books that I've been reading recently. That's all-star Western featuring Jonah Hex, Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiati, and more tat on art. Uh, each book, um, it is, you know, one of the more expensive DC books, but it does contain a backup story in every issue. Um, this book actually is the beginning of a new story arc and the beginning of a new backup story, thoroughly enjoying all of them the characterizations Palmiati and gray have just done a wonderful job of creating this bastard of a character with Jonah Hex. The only thing I actually wish they would do is take them out of Gotham. And I'm not sure why they've continued to stay in Gotham. The the, part of that, I think is to build up the history and the mythos of, uh, the, the history of the Gotham City in the DC universe. That's one of the things DC has said that they are using is they, they kind of want to establish the past and the history using this all-star western title as well as the demon title which took place in the Middle Ages to kind of create those mythical pasts of the world as they're recreating it for the 52. Uh, so But I, I would like to see Jonah out you know in the west. I don't know if that's an editorial decision or if Gray and I have decided they've got a lot of stories that they've wanted to tell. They have gone off to New Orleans for a couple of issues, but that was part of a larger arc that brought them back to Gotham. Well, other than being stuck in Gotham and being a Western, it's really good, and yeah, I, I really can't give it enough praise. You know, between the characterizations, the well-told stories. Yeah, with issue thirteen, it's the beginning of a story arc and well worth picking up. All right. Batman: The Dark Knight, yeah, uh, with uh, Greg Hurwitz now writing this, writing it, and David Finch continuing to do art. It still looks very pretty. I just and and Herwitz is a much better writer than Finch is for writing this book. I'm just not enjoying the story that's been told. Uh, this pretty much wraps up the first art that Hurwitz is told. Uh, this is a. Arc that gives you a history, background, origin, if you will, of the Scarecrow for the new 52, which actually is really cool, but I just not the style that I appreciated with flashbacks of Crane and his life as a child versus his life versus his actions now as the Scarecrow. Uh, I'm really on the fence about this and how Horowitz is going to take this character. I I had talked about with the zero issue. I wasn't a fan of the story and whether it was his story idea or editorial's idea of the timeline that they created for his story, for the bat, for the Batman origin that he did in the zero issue. I, I just haven't been happy with his treatment for the character. He's a much better writer and the storytelling has gotten immensely better. But if I'm not liking the style of stories, what they're choosing to do with the character, I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep reading this. So, uh, 14 should be a new arc. I'll, I'll at least give it a start and see where it's going to go. Unfortunately, I don't have high hopes for that series. Another one that I also am fighting to, to continue to enjoy is the Justice League. Uh, again, you yeah, know, with DC, with the relaunch, everything is on issue 13 right now. Uh, which Tony Daniel's doing the art, and Daniel does a great job. Uh, Jeff Johns is writing this, and they they're doing some interesting story with the origin of Cheetah in this. And John seems to be handling writing the Justice League a little bit better than he has in previous story arcs. Part of this is. That as the Justice League, it's a center point for the DC universe, and it feels there's a lot of clunkiness about this and all of the other DC books and major events going on around it. That it it doesn't feel smooth, it doesn't feel self-contained, it it always feels like it's trying to stay open to outside elements, or let other things affect it, um there's also the question of where in its timeline is it taking is this in that middle five-year period between yeah action comics when superman first appeared and detective five years and detective fr- when batman first became public that those both happened five years ago this and then all the superheroes started popping up this was supposed to take place shortly after that with all the heroes in the middle and it's, it's unclear if this has finally reached the current time timeline in which case it's where the Green Lantern is, because they've actually had Green Lantern step out with the last issue. This is a new arc. So it is definitely a good jumping-on point if you haven't been reading Justice League. And if you're reading a number of DC books, this is going to be a center focal point, especially for the upcoming Trinity arc, uh, which they're going to have the, Trini- the Trinity War. is going to be their big cro- big crossover event coming up in 2013. And lastly from DC is another book I'm really torn about, and that is Superman. Superman's had a number of different creative teams since the relaunch. Uh, several classic teams, including Dan Jurgens and George Perez, have worked on this book since its relaunch. And I, I think they're still struggling to find where they want this to go. This book received a lot of press for Superman quitting the Daily Planet, or actually I should say Clark Kent quitting the Daily Planet, Sorry if I spoiled that for you, but yeah, when I hear it on NPR, and yeah, I've seen it on in news stories in in the mainstream media. I I I don't feel it's any more of a spoiler now. You've just been too exposed to it. Besides that, he's quit before; it's nothing new. And I feel it's more it's either DC trying to be too edgy, which it kind of it with all the coverage that it's been getting. That's where it's felt where it's turned to feel at least is that it's too edgy or it's just a story point so that he can tell his story without having to worry about what the daily planet would say on it i think a lot of this people have been looking in maybe even reading too far into some of the details that have been written into the story however uh this book is written by lubdell with art by rocafor and the art i'm actually like better than the art that was done for the Red Hood and the Outlaws book that they were both working on, so I'm appreciating Rockeforte's art more with this, but I'm still not on board with Scott Lobdell writing this. I did read he did do the Zero issue for Superman, where Superman has his ass handed to him, yeah. and so this issue picks up after that with him trying to figure out just how strong he is, and some of it feels clunky, you know, tr- with him trying to figure out. How strong he is, the scientist that he's got who's somewhere between a come on and, you know, trying to hit on Superman and somewhere she, you know, is, is she a threat? And at some level they kind of make it reveal that she might be a threat to Superman and his powers. Uh, This is the prelude to a crossover between the other Superman family books, Supergirl and Superboy. And I, I, I really think that may actually be the reason why I dropped this title Uh it's Hell on Earth H apostrophe E L is, is the spelling because it's a Kryptonian L from the House of L so apparently it's some relation to Superman slash you know uh, Kara and you know I guess however they've linked Superboy in there he is a clone I guess so it, it's going to be interesting to see where Labdell actually, I'm not sure that it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Labdell can actually keep me interested in reading this book. I haven't liked what he's done with his with the previous stuff I've read from him. Uh, you you may remember when I did read the Red Hood. Actually, I only read it just so that me and Justin could argue about it on the show. And lastly, I'm going to discuss a book called Madam X from National Comics, which is. Put out by DC, it's part of their one-shot series for from, from the characters of National Comics. Madame X uh, apparently is a modern interpretation of Madame Xanadu. This was a wonderful one-shot story. It's a detective story, so it, well, I wouldn't entirely call it noir. It certainly edges, plays with the edge of that noir Sam Spade type detective. In there working with the cops. And on top of that, it has the supernatural elements of tarot card reading, voodoo. They try and bring in some of the elements of being in New Orleans and that Cajun flair, the, the voodoo history of, of the place. So I really did enjoy Madame X. It, it was a fun one shot. I, I think DC has been... Do- I, I've read some of the national comics. Uh, Justin has read all of them that have come out so far. He's loved them all. I've read two. Both were really good. Uh, of the two that I've read, which was Rosenthorne and, and Madame X, Rosenthorne seems like it was heading into this is a continuation. You're going to see more of this down the line. Madame X will certainly open to be used, you know, again, particularly as a consultant for the police or, you know, taking a left turn and going into a more supernatural or superhero-y in with Justice League Dark type of an aspect. Uh, it was a wonderful one-shot, and particularly if you like detective fiction with kind of a slant to it, maybe something Dresden, I think, Justin would say, uh, Madame X was a good read, and probably the strongest of the two national comics that I read. So, uh, going to go ahead and move on into the comic book news. So... uh first story the heirs of Superman co-creator Joe Schuster have officially surrendered the their ability to claim their interest in Superman based on their uh, based on the claim from their 1992 agreement uh, this was ruled by the court that they have to surrender their 50% share it's likely to be appealed but for right now DC now owns that that share outright because of that what they'd set, made agreements with during that 1992 agreement, the restitutions that they paid to the Schuster and the uh, Simon families. they not Simon. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with the uh, Schuster and Siegel families, they made an agreement, they made an agreement earlier on in 92 and the courts have said they're going to uphold that agreement and the uh, heirs have to forfeit. Uh, with this, they're actually able to keep a number of the elements that are, we find are Superman. We kind of think of as being that character, such as his secret identity, his origin, yeah. The, some of the elements that make up his costume, including the S shield, yeah. His powers, such as super strength and super speed, and uh, some of the ancillary characters, such as Lois Lane, yeah. Now, again, there is going to there. This is likely to be appealed. And uh, there's another claim with the Seagull clan uh, that has a hearing on November 5th in the Ninth Circuit Court of, of Appeals, uh, where DC is trying to overturn a ruling from 2008 about the Seagull's claim to the Superman character. So Superman has been a highly contested property you know, throughout the years because of how big he is, how long he's lasted. He's celebrating his 75th birthday and... So DC, of course, bought the rights off of when we talked about the check that was up for auction, where they actually bought the rights to Superman from Siegel and Schuster, and then they did work for hire to continue writing stories for DC. This, you know, they've since said, you know, that they were taken advantage of and had restitutions paid to the families. Now the families are continuing to look for more money. So while certainly they do deserve recognition and money for what they created, at some point, you know, you need they need to you know honor the agreement that was originally made with DC. Now there is a lot of people that argue about creator rights, um, and I don't know the full details to know exactly you know whether or not the families have the leg to stand on or not, you know, with their claims. But at, at some point, it changes from we uh, we do deserve this to now we're just trying to get as much as we can. So, unfortunately, this is one of the things that happens. And you know, DC, Marvel's caught up with this with Ghost Rider. It's not something just to DC. Um, They also have Watchmen, which they've been fighting over, um, which, unfortunately, that's the nature of business. And there's a lot of people out there. So if, if you're somebody out there who's trying to make his own comic, trying to write their own movie, their own story, get it out there. Read the contracts. Know what you're getting into. You know, if Moore had actually paid attention to the contract, he would have, you know, re- and part of it was not having faith in himself. You know, but always make sure that if it's something that you want, that you're going to be able to get the rights back to it. You know, that there is a finite time limit or there is some way, some escape clause. Have a friend that's a lawyer. Have, but make sure that they're actually a lawyer that knows contract law. That can read it and say where your where your rights are and and what you are signing away, so that you're not stuck, you know, being pissed off at a company that's keeping that's actually honoring the contract that you signed with them, but you're stuck now because you can't you can't move forward with characters that you created you don't own them because you're signed into an agreement that has wound up being detrimental to you. You know, have have the faith in your work that it's not going to go out of print so you know be willing to turn down that first contract if you actually do good work they'll rework the contract uh the, and many authors you know even just prose books the first contract that they offer you is a standard contract for them that screws the hell out of you so go back re- reread it you know see if you can get points on the end. See, see when the rights revert back to you. There's a lot of people that sell movies to Hollywood and they never get made. Yeah, and and the thing is that they never put in a clause for the rights to revert back to them so that they can go and sell it to another studio to try and get it made somewhere else. So, you, know, you really need to watch out for yourself. You know, And don't just sign away your stuff because somebody's put an offer on the table in front of you. And unfortunately we have to deal with that with big corporations. But yeah, you know, they're out there to make money. They're not out there to, to save the little guy. Except for Ben and Jerry's and other corporations that have incorporated as a type B, which actually means they have chosen that they will weigh their impact on the environment and on their employees equal to or, or greater than their fiduciary responsibility to their investors. But that's neither here nor there because that's not what we're dealing with with comic books. Um, but uh you, you can look up what Class B uh corporations are if that's something that interests you as opposed to just making money, which is what these companies are about. So make sure you cover your back when you go to deal with them. Uh, okay, rant over. Yeah. The one other thing that has come out of that DC uh, gaining the rights to Superman, at least for the time being until there's another appeal, and that eventually goes through the court system, is that has allowed DC to announce a 2015 Justice League movie which is coming out to compete with the Avengers. Avengers is due out May 2015. We don't have any details yet on the Justice League movie, but uh, you can make a pretty safe bet it's going to include the core members, probably the ones that are pretty much included in the New 52, the possible exception of that being Cyborg. So you're going to most likely see a Green Lantern. You're going to see a Flash. You're going to see Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman that's probably your roster that you're going to see in a Justice League movie. It's 2015 details haven't been released yet, uh, but they're going to really push that forward. Um, I've seen some people, and I kind of agree, maybe they should have gone for 2014 and not gone head-to-head with the Avengers, especially with the juggernaut that it was this year, and what it's likely to be in 2015, because again, Whedon will be helming it. I, I think they're, you know... Not on the right track with that, but, yeah, you know, I'm not the one making those decisions. Uh, Warner Brothers has apparently felt they want to go head to head with the Avengers in the same year, so. Maybe they felt there was too, too much, too fast to get it on fast tracked for 2014. That could also be the case. And they didn't want to put it out till 2016, put it off till 2016. That may have also been a better choice. They could even have done what Marvel's done. And the, the, right now it looks like they're going to do the opposite of Marvel. Instead of doing individual movies leading to a team, They're going to do a team splitting to individual movies. All right. Uh, There are some changes coming up for comic books. So uh, some stuff to look forward to. DC has announced they're canceling four titles. Uh, Blue Beetle, Grifter, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, and Legion Lost are being canceled. Now, what's interesting is two of these are low-selling books. So it makes sense for DC to cancel them. Uh, I believe Blue Beetle and Grifter were the two lowest-selling of those books. The, the other two are not, and it's suspected that that's probably having to do with plot. DC seems to have an overall story that they want to tell for their larger audience, and that's pro- that's why they seem to have ended their Justice League International title that they did, which was selling fairly well. They seem to have certain story arcs that they want to tell with these books, and then they want to end them and introduce new stories and new arcs and new maxi series something like the uh, team seven where I think it's going to be a, a maxi series of a year. And then they're going to end that and bring in something else. Cause that's kind of an interim period in the DC history line. I think they're looking to do that with a lot of their books uh, And they could just be that they're trying to, yeah, you know, that they want to prune and change and they want to use some of these characters in other ways. So by ending their individual titles, they can, They're going to push them into team books and try and get them more popular that way. It doesn't quite make sense when you've got four Batman titles and two Superman titles, plus both of them being in Justice League. But it's how they want to play the game. It's their titles. Uh, They have announced that they'll be launching a title threshold, which will be a spinoff of the Green Lantern New Guardians and feature a new Green Lantern character, one that we haven't seen before. So, uh, Based on what DC's done in the past, there are going to be three other titles Coming out, we just don't know what they are yet. Jumping over to the Marvel side of the fence, uh, if you're a zombie fan, particularly if you're you know, if you're a Marvel zombie and uh, are a fan of zombies, George A. Romero is going to be writing a zombie series for Marvel. That's right, the master of zombies, the one who knows all, created the genre and movies. George A. Romero will be coming back from the Night of the Living Dead to bring about to write some zombie stories for Marvel uh, I don't know if these are going to be I don't believe these are going to be Marvel zombie stories I believe these are going to be standalone zombies uh, take may or may not take place in the Marvel Universe but it's George Romero so should be wonderful story if you're particularly if you're a horror fan or just a fan of zombies. Over to the Dynamite side uh, with New York Comic Con, they had a number of books that they announced are going to be coming out. Uh, De-Evolution by Rick Remender. Um, basically, it's the story of the last tribe of humans, a group uh, after a global war, somebody actually figured out a chemical compound that would cause humans to de-evolve into Neanderthals. So the last tribe of humans is trying to survive as well as create a cure for to re-evolve life on Earth to prevent everybody from being de-evolved into Neanderthals and other species from, e- from de-evolving and dying out. Uh, interesting little sci-fi concept um, breaks with the actual theory of evolution, but it will be kind of interesting to see, um, you know, and if you're a fan of Remender's work over at Marvel, uh, then definitely might be worth checking out. Um, not quite a zombie story, but it, something tells me you might see some kind of zombie-esque elements with the De-evolved humans going on in there. All right, uh, Dynamite is also putting out Red Team uh, from Garth Ennis. From Garth Ennis, excuse me, uh, going to be a crime drama uh, talking about NYPD's elite strike team, and uh, apparently uh, one of the worst possible things is going to happen when the team kills their prime suspect, uh, or actually decides to murder. I guess is the better way to put it. So, going to be a Garth Ennis written crime drama. This is actually going to be launching Dynamite's run at doing a series of crime books. So, if if you're into crime, then uh, Garth Ennis is certainly a uh, wonderful comic writer to pick up. I'm not sure how his crime stories do, but he's a great comic book writer. And so, Team Red may be a fun little jaunt in there. Uh, these, dynamite is also putting out the devilers, uh, with, uh, Joshua Hale, Fialcove. Um, couldn't find out a whole lot of information on this, but it sounds a bit like it's going to have to do with heaven and demons. Um, I also got a couple of untitled books out. Another one in that crime line is going to be done by Andy Diggle. You got Fred Van Lente, who is going to be doing, doing an untitled zombie and uh, yeah, he'll be doing an untitled uh, zombie book for uh, Dynamite. And then lastly, Andy Lanning is going to be doing a uh, comic based on the 1980s version of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it's going to take place 33 years after that series ended. So if you're a fan of the old camp version of Battlestar Galactica instead of the current military, the more current military drama, that may be something worth checking out. Uh, If you're a fan of video games, then uh, the video game website Good Old Games has just expanded and is now available on Macintosh. They don't have their entire lineup there yet, um, but they do have a number of games including Syndicate and Wing Commanders 1 and 2. They got more games coming, so if you have a Macintosh and you've wanted to play some old games with emulators... Uh, they they have made themselves more friendly to the Mac OS X platform or OS X platform if you prefer. Uh, so, Good Old Games is a great way um, for playing. And if if you haven't heard of it, and you're a Windows fan, these are older games that were designed for you know, mostly older PC games, and that are designed for slower hardware. And they're just they've been adapted and recreated so that you can actually play them. On modern systems. And one of the things that used to happen with some of the older games. Is they would were designed to run based on the clock speeds of old computers. So when you put them on today's much faster processors. They go through and the actions happen so fast. You don't have time to really do anything of playing the game. These compensate for that and actually make the games playable. So um, Another thing for those of you who are video games. And uh, like to take your games anywhere. Uh, You'll be happy to hear that Steam has been testing on Linux, so uh, Steam will be putting out a uh, has been demo testing that, and so if if you play your Steam games and you want to, if you prefer using a Linux operating system, then uh, Steam will be available. Um, And they've actually said that Steam is better on Linux for gaming, uh, better than Windows. So that that's an interesting point that they've made uh, is that they've actually enjoyed creating Steam for, and setting it up to run on Linux and have said that it actually runs better on Linux than it does on the Windows platforms. For those of you that like your creators, like having a chance to interact with them or just you know hearing what they have to say, um, the, the website reddit.com has a subreddit, uh subreddit r/iama slash and uh in that the iama is i am somebody ask me anything and so uh what they uh, what they do is they have uh, people come in and talk about whoever they are and what they're doing and the you get to post comments and ask questions about you know to to the person that's answering them and get some answers that you may not have a chance to interact with them and get answers to otherwise. A um, couple of these you'll are actually happening before th- this is going to go out. However, you can always go to Reddit.com and do a search and find out some of the answers. Um, yeah, re- read the interviews at, or conversations as they tend to be. Um, so yeah, They're always up there, so you can go back and check some of these out. Um, October 30th, which of course is past, is uh, Justin Jordan, author of Luther Strode, Team 7, and he's going to be coming up working on Deathstroke. Uh, October 31st, Chuck Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan are going to be doing an AMA uh, to help promote their Kickstarter for their book, Joe Frankenstein. It's a new comic they're working on. Uh, Chuck Dixon has written G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes, Detective Comics, Robin Punisher on the Marvel side. Uh, whereas uh, Graham Nolan's drawn for detective comics and a number of other. So, you know, uh, those are both uh, Kickstarter or IAMA's that you can look into. Of course, the Kickstarter for Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan's Joe Frankenstein is going to continue to go on. So you can, yeah, you know, check that out. See if it's something you're interested in donating to help produce another comic book. Um, I don't know if they're going to be doing what Cyberforce did and giving the first couple away for free. You know, based with the money they raised to get help get interest in it. But they need the money so that they can afford to, you know, take the time to write, to draw, and to actually produce these comics. So, if you're interested in supporting that, you know, and you want some more information, check out the AMA and check out their Kickstarter page. Coming up November 6th, if you haven't heard, if it hasn't passed by the time you're hearing this, Joe Harris. He's done several X-Men minis, Batman minis, Vamprello runs. He's going to be doing an AMA November su- November 13th. Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, Captain, writer of Captain Marvel. She's written Supergirl. She worked on Castle, Deadly Storm. Uh, she's going to be doing an AMA on November 13th. November 27th, Brandon Seifert, which I know is one of Justin's favorites, who wrote Witch Doctor, a series that I know Justin really enjoyed. Uh, he'll be doing an AMA November 27th so maybe justin will get on there and ask him when we can expect when or when he can expect a sequel to the witch doctor book coming out other notable amas might be interesting to you that are not comic book related baritunde thurston he was a writer for the onion controlled their digital space for a long time and wrote the book how to be black he'll be doing it he's done a ama on october 30th so if he interests you, you can certainly go back and search for that one. And on Halloween, Toby Wilkins, uh, horror director, who directed the movies Splinter, Splinter and Grudge 3, doing an AMA. So if you're a horror fan you want to find out a bit more, uh, you can check on Toby Wilkins' AMA. Do a search for that one on Reddit. So... With that, I'm going to go ahead and call it a show. It's been quite a long uh, solo show, actually, but uh, now that we're doing these twice a month, issues coming out on the 1st and 16th of each month, I've got a lot of information to pass out to you guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully just having me by myself hasn't bored you to tears. Uh, Dustin will hopefully be back for the next show, uh, feeling better, having a little one feeling better, and everything will be going well. If you want to reach us, yeah, you know, let us know what you think about the show, how we can improve it, what you want to hear about. Yeah, you know, if there's something that you think we should be covering, let us know. You can do that by going to about that me slash comic book tesseract. There you'll find our Facebook page, our Google Plus account, our Twitter accounts, you know, our emails, our Google voice numbers so you can text us, so you can leave us a voicemail. Yeah. You know, email us, Yeah. You know, contact us through Twitter. Yeah. You know, and uh, you could also go to the comicbooknerd.com website and find out about us. Our Facebook page. All yet that, again, is available from about.me slash So We thank you for listening. Uh, Justin should be back next week. I've had a wonderful time talking to you. And we'll see you next time when we step inside the Tesseract.